0: Hello and welcome to the Society of Construction Law Australia's official podcast, the podcast where we will look at technical and legal issues facing the Australian construction industry. My name is Sean Brady and I'm one of the directors of the Society. In this episode I speak with Anna Waters from Europower to explore the neuroscience of leadership. Anna is going to talk about how a cognitive revolution has transformed our understanding of how we make decisions. She'll talk about how to apply these lessons to your everyday working environment and she'll provide insight on practical methodologies and practices to enhance your leadership impact in the workplace. So get ready to discover you're not nearly as rational as you'd like to think you are. Be sure and subscribe for regular updates on issues facing the construction industry. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. I'm Sean Brady and we look forward to you joining us. Hello, everyone. Hello, Anna. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Great to be here.
0: So we're going to talk about neuroscience and psychology and a whole pile of stuff. But let's just get one of the things out of the way. If you're a construction professional or if you're a lawyer, why should you be interested in neuroscience and psychology and all those sort of stuff? What's it really got to do with building better structures or being a better construction lawyer?
1: Sean, historically, we've thought of ourselves as very rational beings. And we are, but from what neuroscience has shown us is that the rational side of ourself sits in our neofrontal cortex, the frontal lobes of our brain. We now know from a, a lot of insights from neuroscience and the research that we've been able to do is that there's actually 99% of our decisions are driven by our emotional centers, our limbic brain, which sits in, our, in the middle of our brain. So there's a very interesting interplay between the emotional side of our decision-making and our rational side. So while we are very rational beings, we're not as rational as we thought. And a lot of our decisions are driven by our emotions. Previously, we thought that we were thinking beings who also felt sometimes. Um, but neuroscience is showing that we're actually emotional beings who think.
0: Which is really interesting, isn't it? Because in a recent talk you did for the Society of Construction Law, you, you make the point that we hire for not for those emotionals, which we try and put them out of the way. And I know we're going to talk about this later on when we get into system one and system two, but we we love to say that's unprofessional and we don't talk about those emotions and we we just talk about the rational side. But you're saying that that just leads to a whole range of problems.
1: And the research has shown that. Um, What we do when we ignore all of that is we ignore an enormous amount of information, which we'll talk about more about um, in a few minutes but it's a huge part of what drives us, drives our decisions, drives our interactions. And if we're ignoring this side of ourselves, we're leaving an enormous part of ourself at home. Historically, we've said to leave the emotion out of decisions mm-hmm. and um, let's be rational about this, which is fine to say, but in reality, that's not actually how it works.
0: Yeah. Um, tell, tell that wonderful story that you told at the presentation about the MRI machines. Um, to me, this is just a... When you listen to this, you can can almost feel uh, the distress in it.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, So there was a a huge um, breakthrough in the neuroscience research by Matthew Lieberman of UCLA, where he put some first-year psychology students into big fMRI machines, which are uh, big, white, noisy machines, and put them in there to measure how they would Uh, experience um, social ostracism so they did it in a very gentle study where basically they would go into the fMRI and on the screen in front of them they would be able to throw through a little screen a ball to two other people now they were told that there were people in other fMRI machines but they were actually just the computer so they um, were throwing the ball between the three of them back and forward they could choose to play to throw to player one or two After a couple of minutes, the experimenter changed the settings and players two and three just threw the ball between them and basically excluded the first person, the person in the fMRI machines. And what the experimenters were interested in is what was the reaction in their brains? So two interesting things happened. One is in their brains, the same part of their brains lit up as when they were in physical pain. Wow. Yeah. So they experienced. The, the the ostracism the social ostracism as as being like similar to being physically hit so it had a, a huge impact on on them emotionally the other thing that happened is that in the machines they actually became quite agitated and angry oh. they were confused about why um, they'd be excluded from from the the ball throwing exercise um and it actually caused quite some ethical concerns <laughs> Um, for the experiment and they had to change it so that they told them this was an experiment that they weren't up to other people and explained about ostracism and all of this and even though their visible reaction reduced after that the same thing happened in their brain so it's an innate response that they couldn't control to react so intensely to this so this was arguably one of the biggest findings from neuroscience and it told us that humans are wired to be social Mm -hmm. what is extraordinary about human beings is that we're wired to live and work in groups but that also has massive implications for how we work and the system one and system two
0: which we'll get to which we'll get to yep
1: and so this system one and system two these two different decision making systems in the brain once we understand how they work a lot of other things make a lot more sense
0: okay so the listeners with system one and system two but this really is the is the bedrock of what we're about in this this particular episode isn't it it
1: is and and before we jump into that i'll just say that as a as a management consultant um we get called in to work with individuals teams and organizations when they're experiencing some challenge in some way Mm -hmm. um but it's never about the actual job itself the task so what do you
0: mean by that so, I can take a guess. But yeah.
1: uh, so th- people can usually do that, do what they're trained to do, their profession.
0: So in other words, the job they or hired to do, the, the set of tasks That's they right. are meant to execute. they technical
1: or professional responsibilities Yep. that they're, that they're trained through, that, that, that they're qualified to do. Why we get brought in is because of issues with culture, leadership, team dyma- dynamics, interpersonal dynamics, all of those messy interpersonal things. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have performance issues. That's when you have two organizations who've merged or two teams who've merged and they're not working and people can't understand why it's because of these systems in the brain and the way they interplay that we can start to understand the complexities of human dynamics.
0: And you're basically saying that if we go back to our MRI machine and the exclusion experiment, that it shows that that's hardwired, you can't you can't just say to people, we need a better culture, get a better culture, make it work. And people can't rationally process their way through that necessarily to, to come out the other, the other side in a, in a natural, innate way. Is that fair?
1: That's right. This research shows that at a very fundamental biological level, we have some hardwiring that make us you know, beautifully and uniquely human, but also present some
0: challenges. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about, this is really system one, system two, isn't it?
1: right yeah so system one is a basically sits in your midbrain and this is where a lot of your emotions sit Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of your automatic processing okay so say once you've learned a new skill or a new task um, typing learning to drive playing piano if you do that whatever you can do that's an automatic task will be run by system one it's quick it's fast it's automatic and it basically operates based on the past. Yep. So it pattern matches. Yep. Conserves energy.
0: So it basically says I've seen this before. I know yep. what to do in this situation. That's right. Yep.
1: It doesn't necessarily learn easily because it, it doesn't take every new experience as a new experience.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: So even if your situation that you find yourself in is a very unique and different, different one, it will assume that it's similar to something it's done in the past and bring any baggage or anything (laughs) back into this, the current situation, which can create some interesting dynamics in teams. When you get 10 people in a team who are all doing that.
0: And presumably you don't really know you're doing it because it's automatic and that's That's right and
1: unconscious. So system one is also unconscious.
0: Okay, But it's a really good system, isn't it?
1: It is absolutely. So even though it's the source of some interesting behavior and all of your emotional intensity, it's, um, it's also the source of your motivation. So it's why you wake up and go to work. Mm-hmm. Without it, you would be apathetic. You wouldn't really care. You wouldn't want to show up each day and do what you do. Okay. So it's, um, and a very important part of your motivation. It also gives you a lot of energy.
0: Okay. Whereas which can be good or bad. Which can be good yeah. or
1: bad. That's right. Yeah. Or helpful or unhelpful, depending on what you're trying to achieve. Okay. Yep. System two sits in your frontal lobes, as I said before. And system two is more strategic, thoughtful, considered, but it's also a lot slower.
0: And this is the rational brain, isn't <laughs> this it? This is, is what we, the, yeah. this is the way we think we like to think all the time.
1: <laughs> this is the stories that we tell ourselves. <laughs> so this is where our um, narrative is wrapped up. So if I ask you, what makes you brilliant at your job? Your rational brain will come up with the answer and you'll be able to tell me why you're, why you're good at your job. Yep. That's all sits in your rational brain. And that's all true. If you ask your, you know, your, somebody to list their top three weaknesses or where they struggle, often people have a harder time doing that. And the reason is because we're very positive and strengths focused and, and narratives wrapped up in all our positive things, which is why we're hired. Yep. But if we don't have a good visibility on what our blind spots are, they can actually come back to bite us and can, um prevent us from helping our rational brain achieve what it wants to achieve.
0: So we've got two systems going on in our head whenever we're making decisions. System one, which is the emotional one, and system two, which is the more rational one. And And tell us the split of decisions or the percentage of decisions that They're made by each. You you said this recently at the presentation and it blew my mind.
1: Yeah. The current thought is that it's about 99% of your decisions are driven by your system one.
0: Your emotional brain. Your emotional
1: brain. So when we say to leave emotions out of it, we're actually going to have a lot of difficulty making decisions if that's what we're actually doing.
0: Because, of course, most people think they're using system two for all these decisions. That's right. And that's why they they make rational decisions. So talk a little bit about post-rationalization and, and how that works with system one and system two.
1: That's an interesting one. So what we tend to do is our emotional system um, or our limbic system will make um, the decision to buy the car, to buy the shoes, to buy whatever you, mm-hmm. you've you purchased and system two will then post-rationalize it. So we will come up with a very good reason to our loved ones or colleagues or whoever we need to justify ourselves to feel that we need to justify, justify ourselves to about why we bought it, why it was a sensible decision, why it was good value, why we desperately needed it. That's the post-rationalization. And we don't just do it with purchasing decisions. We do it in lots of different aspects of our life.
0: And do we know we do it? Do we know we post-rationalize or do we genuinely believe that they were the decisions, why we did what we did?
1: We genuine, or most people genuinely believe. Wow. Yeah. So another interesting study that was done was there on two like playing cards in front of people, there were two different women's faces Mm -hmm. and, um, the experimenter showed somebody the two different faces and asked them to pick their favorite one. So they picked, they then put them face down on the table and then they did, you know, a little bit of sleight of hand and showed the other person. The face that they hadn't chosen, and asked them to justify why they'd chosen the <laughs> face that they hadn't chosen. <laughs> yes. Eighty percent of people justified it. Wow. Didn't even realise that that wasn't the face that they hadn't chosen. Wow. They just came up with it with a reason. Wow. So it's a very it's a very powerful and mostly unconscious.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is what makes it presumably so dangerous and so hard to deal with.
1: That's right. Yeah. Um, but the brilliant thing is it's easy to be aware of and so that it that it doesn't impact um, negatively on our decisions simply by being aware of it. Yeah. We have a great um, analogy. Yes. You've heard this. Yeah, I know. Go ahead. So we like to refer to system one as the elephant and system two as the rider. Mm-hmm. So inside your brain, there's an elephant and a rider and they're, either constantly fighting or working together or one of them's ignoring the other one whatever interesting dynamics are happening in your head at that point but these it's a good visualization for how these systems interplay or how they put could potentially work together so if we ignore our system one the elephants don't like that much and they'll so the,
0: the elephant system one that's um, right if we ignore it which is what our job tends to Teach us we should do because that's, that's the right. elephant. That Ignore should be left the emotion.
1: Yeah. Yep. Then elephants will react a, a couple of ways. One of them is that they go on a rampage. Mm-hmm. They get angry, agitated, frustrated, indignant, self-righteous, whatever it might be. Yeah. And they're off and running. Um, another option is that they just refuse to move and they sit down and they don't do anything. They don't make a decision. They don't go anywhere. They just stay and people sort of
0: withdraw. And this is quite independent of the rider, yeah, that's the right. system too, the rational part of, of, of the brain that's actually trying to get them to move or stop moving or slow down. And
1: yeah. So often the rider would be attempting to either rein in the elephant or get it moving, um, depends on the relationship between the elephant and the rider.
0: So what do you mean by that? How, how can you have a relationship? And how are people's relationships different between the, I know we, we have different elephants, which we're going to talk about in a little while, but how can the relationship between the, the rider and the elephant can be different between people?
1: Yeah. So if the relationship's not very healthy, then the elephant will feel like the rider's not listening to them.
0: So can you give us an example of that? So
1: if the elephant is feeling tired, yep. so say you as a, it was a human, um, you've not slept for a couple of nights and you're feeling tired and your rider is very committed to writing a report. Yep. Your elephant won't like that. Yep. Your elephant is likely to either fall asleep or make a re- make a reason to go and eat something or talk to someone or procrastinate and your rider will be frustrated because you really want to write the report. Your elephant has no interest in it. Yep. And it will find the remote and turn on the telly. Yep. So your elephant often drives your behavior. And then the next day, you'll think, "Oh, I really should have written that report." And so it's your rider saying to your elephant, "Hey, we really needed to to do that work, but instead, we did You <laughs> ate chocolate and watched <laughs> telly and went to bed. That's what your elephant needed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's your that's what you mean by the relationship. That that's the relationship. The, the writer was not aware enough of the tiredness of the elephant to realize, from a rational perspective, that that report was just simply not going to get written because. Yep the elephant wasn't going to be able to, to do it. and Same with anger. So if your elephant is running around angry and your rational party is trying to tell you that you're not angry.
1: Yeah, that's right. So you can be really, really angry with somebody, say at work, and your rational brain or your rider is saying, no, you know, they're still learning or they might not have had all of the information and your rider's trying desperately to seek some sort of understanding or defend them in some way. Your elephant's just angry. It just doesn't care. Just is angry at them.
0: And is that why you wake up the next morning and you're sorry for the things you said? Because That's your elephant's right. calmed down. And That's
1: right. So anything you've ever said that you sort of think, oh, I might need to apologize for that. That was all elephants. And your writer then thinks, oh, okay, yeah, if I want to heal this relationship, I'm going to need to make some make amends.
0: And do, in some people, is the relationship between the writer and the elephant better than in other people? And is that what we, is that what you call emotional intelligence? Yeah. Is that, that pretty much...
1: That's it. Yeah. Some people don't even have an awareness that they have an elephant that's driving most of their decisions. Um, And that can make it very difficult to manage your elephant if you don't even know it's there. So there's a big sort of massive elephant that's, you know, guiding you through the day and you don't even know that it's there. That can be quite tricky to manage um, reactions to things.
0: So is this a situation where where you see someone is clearly really, really angry and you ask them if they're angry and they say they're not?
1: Yes, that's right.
0: So they can genuinely believe they're not angry.
1: A couple of options. One is they don't actually know they're angry. Another one is they're furious, but they don't want to tell you about it right now. So they're, they're masking. Yep. So um, when our elephants are triggered, which is the word that we use for when we're having um, an, an elephant moment, we call it. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're triggered, um, what actually happens in the brain, in the midbrain, is we have an amygdala hijack. So the amygdala is a small pea-sized part of the brain that sits towards the back of our midbrain. Mm-hmm. And when our elephants are rampaging, the amygdala hijacks the information and processing in your midbrain and stops it moving to your rider. So asking somebody who's triggered to be rational <laughs> is almost impossible. And the amygdala hijack lasts for about eight seconds. So, um, but it can be extended. So after the eight seconds people can tend to calm down which is why we say if you're angry count to 10. Count to ten. if you're very angry count to 100. so that like has a practical
0: that has basis a very, for why it works.
1: that's right so if you're feeling yourself like the, you know the the elephant in you rampaging whatever that if you're extremely anxious or overwhelmed or angry or agitated whatever that looks like for you because it's very different for different people just know that there's a lot of energy in your midbrain right now <laughs> your rational senses that are needed to carefully navigate the situation are not there. So giving yourself a circuit breaker is a really helpful way, um, of helping to manage it. So whether it's time, whether you just sort of say, Hey, can we just take a quick break in this meeting and just take a minute or two everyone, you know, go Mm -hmm. and have a quick break, calm down (coughs) and come back to it. Um, or whether you can use humor as a circuit breaker, need to pick your audience carefully with that one. Um, but there's a few different ways, and you know, deep breathing can also help. It actually changes your physiological reaction um, and calms your adrenal system. So, deep breathing can actually help if you don't have the luxury of taking Sometime. a short break.
0: So, if it lasts for for eight seconds, so you said there's some situations where it can be extended. So, what are, what are those?
1: Well, you so what we know about elephants <coughs> is that emotions are contagious. So, if you're feeling highly emotional, yep. or say, for example, really angry about something, everybody else's elephants in the room are going to pick up on that. Yeah. And you're likely to trigger other people's elephants. And suddenly we have a stampede of elephants, <laughs> which we're now we're off track.
0: So this is why, you know, when you're really angry about something and you call that really angry friend of yours, he gets angry about stuff very, very quickly and you go for a cup of coffee with them, you're going to get more angry and more agitated rather than actually coming down about
1: it that's right so we can amp up each other's elephants um, without even meaning to and you might have the best intentions of supporting your friends and showing loyalty to to them um, over their anger but may not actually be helping them right now because the rational brain is the part of the brain that thinks strategically that builds relationship that relationships that does brilliant work that thinks around corners the rider brain is the brilliant part of you the elephant brain is the energy it's not the brilliance and it's not particularly noble.
0: So this is, this is I think, the really interesting you know, issue with this, that you might like to think you get rid of the, uh, the emotional part of the brain and then the rational part becomes brilliant and you're able to do stuff. But you're saying that doesn't happen at all. You just lose complete energy. You lose the will to do anything. So you've got this really rational brain that just wants to sit around and not do anything.
1: That's right. So they did 40,000 lobotomies in the U.S. Uh, middle of last century. So they actually severed the elephant from the rider. Wow. Um, it got rid of a lot of dodgy behaviour, but it also um, left almost a shell of a person. So they weren't able to make decisions. They, they lost um, their motivation to work. Um, they lost a lot of their enjoyment of, of life in terms yep. of enjoying food. They had no um, excitement or passion for, for life. Wow, It was all very uh, robotic and intellectual, intellectual, but nothing there driving the machine.
0: So yeah. once we lose that emotional part, the bit you know, that we keep coming back to that we're told to leave at home when we, we come to our jobs, we, we just lose the whole energy for what we're there for in the first place. And we have to sort of live with the good and with the bad.
1: That's right. And, and whether even though we sort of say, you know, leave the emotional part at home, um, from my perspective, we don't. We bring it to work. And at work, we do have frustrations. You know, people um, trigger each other all the time, um, but the difference at work compared to home is that it's not sanctioned. And so people don't feel like they can express how their elephant's feeling because, remember, we're not meant to be emotional at work, um, supposedly. And so um, it creates for some interesting dynamics.
0: Because from the presentation you were saying that the the fundamental interesting dynamic is that if the elephant is, you know, starting to get into control and we ignore that elephant um, or someone else ignores that, elephant. that's pretty much the single worst thing you can do, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And it's very likely to amp up the elephant.
0: So suddenly the rider loses complete control and the elephant's off and running and that's, and that's it.
1: That's right. And probably, you know, recruiting for the stampede.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So everyone else is getting on board with the same set of emotions.
1: That's right. It often happens.
0: So what you're really saying is if you can't ignore... So you can't leave your elephant at home. It's going to come to work with you whether you want it or not. It's hardwired in, yeah. You, know, you you can't ignore it. You know, other people can't ignore it because that's going to just make it break loose and stampede and you're going to have a big problem in your hand. Is what you're saying that fundamentally it's, it's about improving the relationship between the rider and the elephant and helping the rider part of people's brains understand the elephant part better... I'm hesitant to use the word to be able to control it, but it, I used to, to at least be aware of it and work with m- it. Work with oh, that's good. Yeah. Work. So, what do you mean by work? Work. So, yeah. if I'm really angry about work, at work about something, and and my rider is sensing, oh, this elephant is just about to to break loose. How do you deal with that from a personal perspective, even before you get into sort of interpersonal? Yeah.
1: That's that's really the key and the first step to having a better relationship between your elephant and rider is knowing the signs, Mm -hmm. understanding what frustrates your elephant Mm -hmm. and knowing the early warning signs before you get to that amygdala hijack, which is sort of a crunch point. So you want to be able to see the very, the very first signs of it. Um, and they're
0: different for different people. They
1: are. They're very different from different people. So can you
0: give us a few examples of the sort of ones that people may see Yep. for anger for example
1: yeah so well for example um some people are enormously triggered by people being late to a meeting yep. so if you walk in five minutes late and that's not a particular trigger for you but it is for somebody else somebody's elephant's rampaging they'll be sitting politely and smile and nod but inside they're actually the emotional brains running the show the elephant's running the show their riders is nowhere to be seen so
0: say from what i'm that person so I'm waiting for you to turn up for this podcast and you're 5 minutes late and let's say that I'm the sort of person who gets absolutely triggered by lateness. So straight away my elephant is is starting to go off. You don't care because you're not worried about that. Your elephant doesn't care about that. How how and my rider knows now this person's late. I know I get angry when people are late. How do you self regulate? How do you do you help your rider in that situation? Yep. Help the elephant.
1: So that's That's personal individual. Mm -hmm. So whether it's taking a moment, whether it's self-talk and reframing it, oh, you know, I'm sure she had a great reason for why. I'm sure traffic was bad or parking was difficult or whatever it might be to encourage your elephant to have empathy and understanding for the other person. So self-talk is one way of doing it. Taking a quick break is another way. But anything that you can, you know, um, reduce that intensity one of the methods with mo- with the most evidence behind it is to label the emotion. Okay. So if you're feeling agitated about something to be able to label that label that, or if you're feeling frustrated <coughs> to be able to say, Hey, we, you know, we'd agreed that we were going to meet here at three o'clock. It's a bit frustrating that I was here at three and, and, and you weren't able to. So if do you have was, to
0: say it out loud? Is it enough for, for, for your rider in to say to your elephant inside your head, you're really angry because they're late and that's okay? Or do you have to say, hey, obviously in a nice way this, you're late and I'm really angry?
1: It works better if it's out loud. Wow. But you need to pick your audience. I bet you do. <laughs> so <we> <laughs> <laughs> um, if your elephant's expressing how your elephant's feeling, you're going to escalate
0: things. Oh, you talked about this in the yeah. presentation. So explain, yeah, this yeah. is a really important <laughs> split, isn't it, between the two?
1: So the idea is that your rider expresses what your elephant's feeling. That's when you get a good outcome. So if your elephant expresses what your elephant's feeling...
0: So give us an example of that for so the, the person's p- late. Five, you
1: know, say five, or let's say 10 minutes late, because five minutes late is pretty nitpicky. If they're 10 minutes late, right, um, you might sort of say hey, that's really slack. What are you doing? You know, um, we may as well pack up and, and go home or something <laughs> like it's, it's intense. You'll probably have a tone in there. Yep. Um, and it'll be, it'll be a, it'll be a, a cut, yep. a purposeful cuss or a jab
0: at them. Yep. And that's what you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and go, That's. Right. I shouldn't have said
1: that. Yeah. We probably don't have a great relationship anymore. Yep. Um, Depending on their elephant and what triggers their elephant, remember, because they're all different. Yep. So the idea is that your rider can express how your elephant's feeling. So if you're feeling a bit frustrated about it and you're thinking it's going to impact on the meeting that you're about to have and you're wanting to switch quickly, sort of saying, oh, I was really keen to get started at three because I actually need to head off at 3.30 and we're not going to have a lot of time. So it's a bit frustrating that we're starting a, a few minutes late, but I'm really glad that you're here now. Okay, yeah it's calm, it's expressed, but it's not a jab, and it's sort of you're looking forward to moving on
0: so you're able to basically communicate with your elephant right. and say i've 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 made the other person aware of what's upset you, and now we're we're moving on from yep. from that that's right, so in your presentation, and I know we're talking a lot about anger here, probably should talk about other things, but in the presentation, you also talked about this whole concept of. What happens when you go to a meeting and someone is clearly furious before the meeting starts? You've got seven or eight people in that meeting. Someone is absolutely furious. You have no idea why. Nobody else, probably. But well, some may, some may not know why. And you give a really good example of how you deal with that in in the presentation. Do you want to yeah, answer that?
1: That that's an interesting one. So the reason it's important to deal with that and not just let it go is that when our, for point one, when your elephant's triggered, through emotional contagion, you're likely to trigger other people's elephants. So
0: you're gonna make everyone in that room angry?
1: Or triggered. Or triggered, So And yeah. it, it might be anxious, it might be overwhelmed, it might be withdrawn. There's lots of different ways the elephants could look when they're triggered.
0: Also it'll trigger whatever the other people's particular elephant That's is. Right. Yep.
1: yep. So point one you will trigger everybody else. Um, point two is that when people are triggered, they can lose um, an enormous amounts of their cognitive capacity.
0: So in other words, system one is overwhelming, system two. Really.
1: Well, system two just doesn't have the, the energy or the blood flow there. Wow. So all of the blood flow has gone to system one.
0: So you just got an elephant sitting in front of you and That's the rider right. who you're paying for. That's right. Or whoever the company is yep. paying for it too. Is to nowhere to be seen. Is safe. not there. Yep.
1: Yep. So the likelihood of you making good decisions in that meeting and having a constructive, <laughs> valuable meeting is extremely low at this point. Yep. So you may as well not have it. You'll save Save everybody the time and energy by not having the meeting. Yep. So this is, that's, that's.
0: That's a pretty, you know, full on and stunning conclusion to come to, isn't it? But we've all been in those meetings. That's right. Where you just go, that was, that was worse than not having it.
1: Yeah, that's right. And does a lot more damage. So the way that we um, approach that. So if you have somebody who's come into the meeting, they're visibly angry Mm -hmm. or frustrated or whatever, whatever their elephant looks like when it's triggered. What we do is a check-in. So we go around the table and everybody says how they're going, where they're at, how they're tracking, how they're feeling, whatever language that works for that particular group. Yep. But everybody just does a quick check-in. So it might be, yep, feeling great, energized, keen to kick on. The next person might say, yep, slightly weary, you know, had a late night working, but I'm, you know, keen to be focused. Third person says, I'm really angry. Yep. Yep.
0: And the important thing there. Presumably, is that's the, you're making the riders say what the elephants that's are right feeling. Okay. Yeah.
1: So first of all, the person who'd said that they're angry already, they've had to label it. Labeling yep. is an is a rider function. Yep. So you've already started to move the blood flow from their elephant into their rider. Yeah. So labeling it, they've actually had to work out what the label is for the emotion that they're feeling. Yeah. So good and fine don't count as check-ins. Oh. When people are checking in, good. Why, and why
0: not? Why not?
1: Uh, because they're automatic responses and elephant is an automatic response. Oh, wow. So to be yeah, able to think sense. of the language. So how are you, well, how are you feeling right now, Sean?
0: Uh, happy that this podcast is going okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm happy.
1: Yeah. But you thought it, you had to think about I it. I think
0: about it. Yeah. Yeah. I did. If, yeah. If,
1: and if you, like you might've just said fine, if I hadn't just said that they don't count.
0: That's what I would have said. Yeah. Fine. Good, automatic. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's I'm, right. I'm so happy, that's your yeah. elephant,
1: but you've identified that you're happy. So your rider needed to do that. So when someone who's angry needs to identify that they're angry, they actually need to switch on their, their rider and to think about that. So already you're starting to create the shift. The other thing you're doing is flagging to everybody that that person's um, not actually angry about something in the meeting. So when they say they're angry, you just say, okay, how do you want us to work with you? They might say, Hey, I've just had a really terrible meeting. I'm still processing it. I'll be a little bit quiet in this meeting, but I'm actually keen to be here. Great. Thanks. You don't need to go any more detail. It's not a therapy session. Thanks, excellent, move on.
0: So that's stopping the triggering of the other elements in, or the that's other right. elephants in the room at that point.
1: Yeah, so people don't start getting anxious about, I wonder why they're angry and they don't seem quite right and maybe they don't want to be here and maybe they don't like this decision and everybody's elephants just basically make up stories to <laughs> fill in the vacuum because they don't actually know why that person's angry. So it's why it's really important to do the check-ins as long as they're legitimate. And as long as people don't just say that they're fine. Or so good.
0: so go to the one that's not legitimate where you ask the person who is clearly furious and they say they're fine. What yep. what happens so that's presumably the the elephant labelling or just not dealing with it at all. So how do you how do you deal with the denial part of this?
1: So a couple of different ways. The first step of escalation I would flag, um, but t- if it was a colleague of mine, I would try and use a little bit of humour and just sort of say, Hey, you don't quite seem yourself. Mm-hmm. It seems like something's up. Does it have anything and, and see if they respond. Um, if they don't, I'd say, does it have anything to do with the meeting or can, can we just assume that whatever's going on for you, you're processing and you'll rejoin us when you're ready and see if they respond to that.
0: So you're basically saying. We all know you're angry. Mm-hmm. We just are trying to establish you're sort of not angry with us right now. Yep. am <laughs> not angry with this meeting. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. It makes complete sense, actually. So one of the, the really interesting things in the conversations we've had since your presentation is that, and we've alluded to it a little bit, is that there's, there's more than one type of elephant, um, which means that these elephants behave in a different way and see the world differently. Tell us a little bit about the different types of elephants.
1: So, um, there's about nine different types of elephants and they do react in very different ways. So some elephants, um, get quite angry and self-righteous when they're triggered. Yep. Some are quite needy
0: yep. and
1: need a lot of approval from other people and yep. validation. Some are very competitive and success oriented. Yep. Um, so you have all different sorts of, of elephant reactions. And so, um, I guess at a fundamental level, our own reference point is that other people are similar to us. Yep. And the the phrase treat others as you want to be treated is very well with uh, you know great intent. Yeah, well intent. It's just not not helpful. <laughs> because as that you want to be treated is very differently to how other people want to be treated.
0: Whether your elephant is that's needy right. or angry yeah, or whatever. That's it, right. Whatever. What, it's very
1: different needs.
0: So can you I mean we we talked about this a little bit before, but of these nine different types, they all have names, and we're not going to talk about all of them. You can all go visit Anna and have a chat to, them, uh, chat to her about, about all of them. Can we talk about a couple of them? Um, sure. or, or one of them or a couple of them? Because I think stepping through you know, who, you know, know, who, what these are, because I'm sure our listeners know they'll either see themselves in this or they'll see a work colleague or a spouse or a friend yeah. in, in one of these. So just grab one yeah, of them sure. to start and, and tell us well, a little bit about it.
1: Well, let me tell you about the achiever. Mm-hmm. So the achiever, um, likes action. They like in terms of momentum mm-hmm. and success, they like, um, momentum, progression, anything that's moving forward. Yep. So in the workplace, anything, um, sorry, meetings that where there's too much talk and not enough action yep. are likely to start frustrating them. Yep. You'll see them start tapping on the table yep. and after sort of a 20 minute meeting, they'll actually want to start hitting out the door. <laughs> so They'll become quite frustrated if there's endless chatter. Yep. let's talk um, at work. Um, they're also very keen on tracking their progress, so they like to make progress and they like to track it. Yeah. So they'll have lists, and they'll be very keen to monitor to make sure things are on track. Yeah. They don't like the, um, you know, the goalposts changing on them, and this is likely to ha- cause a, a big trigger. For even the achiever. even
0: if the goalposts, oh, the if goal the goalposts changing is a is a good thing for project success or whatever you want to call it. Will that even, even though you rationally say to their elephant, um, sorry, this is changing the rule. Maybe it's for the project as a whole, not necessarily for you personally. Is that going to frustrate the hell out of them?
1: They'll probably still feel frustrated, but it will be less of a trigger. So if you can engage their rider with the reason behind it,
0: okay. you can
1: acknowledge and say to them, Hey, I know this is frustrating cause we got so far down this track, but. I think for the success of the project, it's really important that we make these changes and engage them in that and acknowledge that, that this is frustrating. So you're actually labeling the emotion for them, for them. and preempting the likely trigger.
0: Okay. Yeah. So these achievers, tell, tell us, tell us more about them.
1: Um, so they're, they're usually um, very well dressed, very well spoken um, and very focused on achieving for the group.
0: And they use specific words, don't well they all they elephants. Tend to. Use yeah, they like words.
1: success and achievement and progress and momentum and, and words like that. So they'll tend to they'll they'll um tend to use those sorts of words. They can be quite impatient, yep. um, just because they're wanting to keep moving things forward and anything that will slow them down is just frustrating really. Um whereas other elephants, they actually like to talk things through and they process things by talking.
0: So let's let's talk about So to to contrast these elephants, just as an example, pick another one, which is, is the talker who wants to talk these things.
1: through. So let's talk about the loyal skeptics. So they like to talk things through and they think by talking, so they like to have lots of discussion. Um, they're fairly skeptical and, and cautious. Um, a little bit anxious, um, about how things will go, but they don't usually see themselves as, as anxious what they tend to do in a group is point out all the different ways that a project or piece of work could go wrong. Yep. So to everybody else, it looks like they're not on board and that they're a bit of a wet blanket. Yep. But really they're wanting the group to succeed just as much as the achievers. But what they, their brilliance is that they're able to see all the different ways that it could fail. So that's why they point them out. But what, what, but that's not a sign of
0: lack of, Buy it.
1: No, that's right. They're actually playing a really important role in the group.
0: That must do the achievers heads in.
1: It does. Yeah. Yep. Because it feels like they're slowing them down. <laughs> so what the loyal skeptic oh. needs to learn to do is to say, Hey, I really want this to be successful in order for us to get there. Can we please address a couple of these concerns? Because if we don't, I'm worried that it won't be a success, well, wow. so, so they're fr- yeah. if they're
0: dealing with an a, a, an achiever, then the achiever they're telling the achiever i'm I want the same as you that's right I just have a different way of going that's right. going about it
1: and usually um the achievers will be a lot more patient um when they hear it framed that way and be able to address the concerns of the loyal skeptic
0: so if we have a meeting with an achiever and a loyal skeptic in a room and they have a disregard for the stuff we've just talked about that's where the riders lose control and the elephants can rampage and bash heads and cause all sorts of, of non-constructive behavior, shall we say?
1: Yeah, that's right. So the achievers will become, um, more action focused and, um, more impatient. Yep. And the loyal skeptics will become a lot more paranoid and anxious because they're not feeling like their concerns are being heard or addressed. And so what they're likely to do outside of the meeting is to go and tell everybody else about all the different ways that the project could fail. And then when the <laughs> achiever hears it through the back, <laughs> the, the back channels, um, we'll have a quite a, quite an intense reaction to someone going behind their back and talking about all the ways it could fail, even though their intention was actually good.
0: And that, is that partly because not only is it sort of, undermining the belief in the success of the project, but it's also undermining the belief in the success of the Achiever personally.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So if you're their manager, so you know, this is blown up in the office. What do you, what do you do?
1: Remind them that they're both wanting the same thing.
0: So that's the key.
1: That's right. Yeah. And acknowledging what they, the perspective that they are both coming from, that the Achiever's wanting success for the group, not just for them. And that they're wanting momentum and they're concerned about, there's not enough activity. We're not actually going to meet our deadlines and acknowledging about the loyal sceptic, the loyal skeptic just wants this to succeed as well, but they actually have a really good, um, eye for identifying the risks to the project and that we need to listen to those. So giving them space to maybe document all of them or to talk through somebody, um, The three may not be the best person for them to talk all of the risks through. (laughs) Maybe they can sort of summarize it and bring it back to them um, just to help manage them. So the social contract that you have in a team where teams are aware of these elephants is that I'll manage my elephant and the team helps me to manage it. And I help everybody else manage their elephants. That's the social contract in a high-performing team.
0: So that's fascinating. So you're basically saying my emotions are there. I'm going to manage them, but you have to help me.
1: I'm asking for your, yeah, for your help Help to manage my elephant. Um, because it has some strong views that I don't always have control over and it reacts. So in order to help both of us manage my elephant and both of us manage your elephant, let's understand what are the triggers for each of our elephants so that we can help to manage
0: it, and this is essentially what you do for a living, isn't it? I mean, this is not a sales pitch, but you take yeah. teams yep. where there is elephants that people may or may not be aware of, and 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 you you put that into practice to make it introduce, actually work.
1: Yeah, introduce the concept of elephant rider, help them get to know their elephants. Um, they have individual conversations with each of their team members about what they're going to do. So, so the, we make the assumption that high performing teams have a lot of conflict and con- conflict by conflict. I mean, elephant conflict. Yep. Cause right a conflict, you can resolve it.
0: Yes. You it, can it's rationalize much easier. It. That's right.
1: Yep. Yeah. Elephant conflict, um, just comes up again and again, you know, that person keeps doing this something and they always do that. And why can't they just do that? Whenever you find yourself saying something like that, that's all elephant. Um, so we assume that our elephants are in constant conflict with each other. That's just, you know, they step on each other's toes and they're, that's just how elephants interact. So the idea of high performing teams is that we accelerate the rate of dealing with the conflict. So we resolve it quickly and move on. Yeah. So if I've talked over you in a meeting, someone talking over me in a meeting, uh, you know, that's not a huge trigger for me, but it might be for you Yeah. and I know that. Yep. But in a meeting. For whatever reason, I talked over you. I know it's a big trigger for you. Outside of the room, I'll just say, hey, Sean, I know I interrupted you in the meeting. Yeah, sorry about that. I, you know, feel really passionate about it. Um, you know, elephant got away from me, whatever. Um, I know that, yeah, that 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 you don't prefer that, that that's how we interact. And we've talked about it before. And you can say, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks. And cheers. And it's done. Yeah, That's it.
0: Yeah, which is Im- intensely powerful, isn't it? it really That's is. That's right.
1: Otherwise, for the next three weeks, you're going to be avoiding me <sighs> and every meeting, Thinking, oh, she's going to do it again. And, you know, and it just um, perpetuates the the elephant conflict. Um, and it's really unnecessary and takes enormous amount of effort and energy managing all of these interpersonal conflicts when we actually have a lot of work to do.
0: And do you get into situations where you're helping a team and the communication inherently is so bad between a certain person's rider and their elephant that it's unfixable. Do you, do you get into those situations? You know, other people would probably say that that person has so low emotional intelligence that you just can't work with them. Do, do you get those situations?
1: Not that we can't work with them, but we use different frameworks to help people give a language for understanding. So okay. even with people, people who have really good emotional intelligence understand a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. They might not have had a language for it, yep. but they inherently get it. People with not as high emotional <coughs> intelligence, um, they need sort of frameworks and languages to understand so that they can sort of pattern match.
0: And I mean, it strikes me so much of it is, and I mean this in a good way, it's, it's about expressing your emotions in a way that's not perceived as a weakness.
1: That's right. And I think it's enormous strength. Yeah, as I said, so um, I, from what I've seen, and I and I work with a lot of leaders, the most credible leaders have a really good sense of their elephant. They know what their elephant's like. They know what triggers their elephant. They know um, how to harness their elephant mm-hmm. and use it to um, motivate them. Um, and they have a really good sense of their rider as well.
0: Well, let's, let's just talk about that for a second, because we've talked a lot about the negatives of the elephants. Yeah. But just, and we have not talked about this before, which is, What do you mean by harness their elephant? I mean, I I get it in a sort of a conceptual idea, but, Mm -hmm. but how does, how does that, Mm. how does that work?
1: Well, let's, let's take my elephant, for example. Mm -hmm. So my elephant is a bit of a perfectionist. Um,
0: I think we decided mine was the same, didn't we? Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You you thought it probably was. Which doesn't
0: mean we're always perfect. Incidentally, (laughs) uh, no, no, no,
1: far from it, very far from it. Um, it means that that's what we're striving for. Yep. So the fact that my elephant's striving for perfection means that I have the energy to do a lot of um, intense, tedious work, um, stay up late doing work longer longer than, you know, way longer than working hours until I get the job done, yep. until it's of a high standard. So um, that gives me a lot of energy and that's not my rider. My rider's engaged and there to help do the work. Yep. But the elephant actually goes the mile, the extra mile, because I want to get that that outcome, and because I struggle to leave something if I haven't done it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, if we jump back to the example that we talked about um, a few minutes ago, when you're up late and you're working on a report, and yep. your elephant's tired, and you turn on the telly and w- whatever it is, um, if you have a really good relationship with your elephant. A couple of options. One is you could say, I acknowledge I really need to sleep right now. I can do the report another time. That's fine. You're respectful of your elephant. You go to sleep. You give your body the rest that you need. Yep. We don't always have that luxury. And so what the rider can say to the elephant, I understand that you're tired. What can I do? You could, you know, do some push-ups, get your blood flowing, have a coffee, whatever you might want to do to sort of pick yourself up and say, hey, I need two hours. Work with me. So this yep. is all happening internally. Yep. And so you sort of respect it by not just, you know, charging on, but doing something to help your elephant pick up the energy and continue on. So that's a really respectful relationship between elephant and rider, which is what we're aiming for.
0: So give us the, the, the same sort of example with the achiever person we talked about earlier, who always has to be achieving and, and be seen to be achieving and be seen to be successful. Where I presume this the, the situation is where their elephant is is going to be forced into a situation where they have to accept not being seen to be acceptable or, or um, or not be seen yeah. to be successful. Yeah. How, how did did they have the same chats? Is that they have yeah. to they have to sort of say this is very uncomfortable and I know it's very uncomfortable, but we're going to do it because yeah, it's the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, that's right. And may, men, for example, it might be them taking responsibility for something that they might not have directly done, but they may maybe they were um, had oversight of a project yeah that hadn't gone well. And they need to take responsibility (laughs) of that with the clients
0: Oh, none of our listeners would ever (laughs) be ever, ever in a situation (laughs) like that.
1: So, yeah, so a three won't enjoy doing that. And that's probably going to be a big trigger, which the the people who um, report to them may, may feel that intensely. Um, But they'll need to acknowledge that that's, you know, as the, as the lead for it, that's that that's their role and that they'll need to do that. And they'll, they'll have the similar self-talk.
0: So is, and we may be getting a little broad here with this question, but is this the situation where if you find yourself in a, in a job that's mm. not right for you or a career that doesn't, that has a task demand or task demands off you that are completely inconsistent with what your, your elephant wants. So we're really talking about someone who's in a career they're not passionate about here and a career that's mm. not for them. Is that pretty much the bottom line there?
1: Well, they'll certainly be limited in it. Um, the, the elephant can certainly help you do the long hours and the hard yards. Mm-hmm. And if your elephant doesn't want to, it can be very difficult to ask your rider to try and do it mm-hmm. and you can run out of puff. So it's, it's not a hard and fast answer, but it's more tricky.
0: And do you get into situations where you're talking to people where you can see their elephant is so wrong for the situation they're in, but the rider for a variety of rational reasons, shall we say, um, keeps prodding that poor elephant to, to make this work.
1: It's an interesting question. We also get asked, um, what's, the, what's a good makeup of elephants in a team? Is there a yep. good combination? And my, my answer is that um, it's helpful to be aware of the elephants, but we can't be limited by them. So I don't hire for elephants, I hire for riders. And I hire for the relationship between the elephant and the rider. So from my perspective, any elephant's capable of anything, depending on their rider and their relationship with their rider.
0: Yeah, so you can pretty much work with any elephant if the rider and the rider's relationship with their elephant is is correct. Give us your your, um, your three takeaways from neuroscience for any of us who are in jobs and trying to make it work.
1: Yeah. So the first one, the first one are that emotions are information. So if you're ignoring emotions, you're ignoring an enormous amount of information. So for example, if you're feeling anxious about something, rather than saying that's unhelpful, ignore it. Mm-hmm. That's actually your elephant nudging your rider, saying, "Hey, this isn't right. That something's not right here." Yep. So that's actually information. So that anxiety.
0: So listen to so it.
1: So listen to it. Yep. If you're feeling angry about the the um, the pace of a particular project, it's possibly because um, looking down the track you probably won't deliver it on time if you keep going at this pace. Mm-hmm. So the anger welling up in you that things aren't going as quickly as you'd like is really helpful. Yep. When your elephant rampages, it actually disengages people from your mission and your purpose. So, so if I that's feel why the, the
0: project's not moving fast <laughs> enough and I get really angry and I'm not listened and then my elephant starts rampaging, then everyone gets sick of listening to me. Dumping around about how we're going to be yep. for the project and
1: disengage. But otherwise, if you listen to the anger and your rider can explain and can articulate to the people around you, the concern and engage them in the mission, you can actually get on with it Yep, much more quickly. Yeah. So emotions, information, listen to it. Don't ignore it. Yep. Um, the second one would be that elephants are unique. So we've talked about the nine different elephants. We talked about a couple of them, the, the achiever and the, the loyal um, skeptic and the perfectionist nine different types they're all unique don't treat other people as you want to be treated treat them as they want to be treated Yep. and and know that they're they're very different um limbic reactions rather than saying they shouldn't have reacted that way yeah well they did yeah. so what are you going to do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so acknowledging they don't react in the same ways that you do about things and you don't react in the same ways that that, that they do so just that appreciation for the for the diversity and uniqueness of of people's reactions yep The last one would be that's the elephants really need to be guided, um, by the riders and to work on that relationship. So if you don't know what your elephant's like, if you don't have a great relationship between your elephant and rider, then get to know it. Just start, just start watching it, watching Mm -hmm. everything that comes out of your mouth, either comes from your elephant or your rider. Start to notice if there's a tone, if there's that frustration, if you're feeling like you're gritting your teeth or clenching your fists or something, you're possibly an elephant. Yep. So just start noticing when you're an elephant, when you're a rider, because they're incredibly different states. And what was enormously fascinating to me when I started working in this space um, five years ago, um, specifically with these, with these elephants, was that people would seem very inconsistent. So one day, or in, even in one meeting, they would be driven and high energy and they would have humor and they'd sort of run the meeting and, you know, and then the next day they would sort of be sitting back in their chair and reflective and sort of a bit more cautious. And it would seem like a completely different person. Understanding this gives me a really good sense of, of how that actually makes sense Mm -hmm. um, knowing um, their elephant and the rider.
0: So we're just swapping between one and the Mm, other.
1: That's right. Yeah. So we're switching. So you get a different response um, based on it. So the way that you, um, sell to clients the way that you um, articulate your own value proposition um, will depend on who you're actually talking to and what they're um, what's most likely going to resonate with them
0: and resonate with their with their elephant,
1: elephant and with their rider well wow. yep
0: Anna Waters it was a pleasure talking to you thanks Sean thank you very much
1: thank you